Welcome back to Witch Fix. Today I'm going to be talking about a slightly different type of book. I feel like the ones we've looked at so far have been heavily female based and a lot of them have been revolving around teenage witches, teenage Wiccans, that sort of thing. But I decided to go straight off piste with this one and talk about a book featuring gay magicians because why not? Uh, the book I'm talking about is The Magpie Lord by K.J. Charles, and um, that is the first in a trilogy of books known as the Charm of Magpies series. So this is A Charm of Magpies book one, The Magpie Lord. K.J. Charles describes himself as a writer of romance, mostly M slash M, often historical or fantasy or both, and they tend to be exactly what it says on the tin, erotic historical fiction, um, usually about gay men and I've read quite a number of her novels because they're quite well researched and really well written in the sense that a lot of the times when you're reading quote-unquote erotic fiction the writing isn't actually very good it's mainly people have gotten into it to make a quick buck or they're really really interested in the subject matter but they're not the best writers and KJ Charles bucks tradition in being an absolutely fantastic writer and I really enjoy her books. The Charm of Magpie series in particular I enjoy not for, even from an erotic standpoint to be honest they don't even have to have sex it's just interesting to read the book which is another thing that is quite unusual in this genre in particular it's usually all about the relationship whereas these books actually have plot please don't judge me I'm reading I, I swear I'm just reading for the plot anywho the two characters um, in the Charm of Magpie series are Lucian Crane otherwise known as Lord Crane or Lord Vaudry and he is the most recent Lord Crane uh, because his father and brother die before the beginning of book one he returns to England from where he's been living in Shanghai for about 20 years and takes up the reins of the family estate and the family fortune. Uh, his father actually banished him to China because he got kicked out of a lot of boarding schools for, you guessed it, being gay. And his dad just kind of sent him off to Shanghai where he started out really poor and made a lifelong friend in a guy called Merrick, who is now his sort of butler slash murderer for hire. And he's kind of not what you would expect from an English aristocrat in that he can speak quite a lot of languages, he's very comfortable with his past as a smuggler, and he doesn't really care what people think of him because he doesn't have to, he's fucking rich. On the other side of things we have Stephen Day who is the magician or witch. Um, they kind of change how they refer to them, the most common term used in the book is practitioner, um, works as a justicar who basically function as the police for witches in England. It's not a, a very well-liked job. They're kind of looked down on by other practitioners as being um, holier than thou and annoying. But basically he investigates people who are abusing magic and using it against people for harm. And that's how the two of them meet. Because when Lord Crane returns to England, he is instantly afflicted by a curse, which may have been the reason that his father and brother died before him. And he has to get Stephen in to help work that out. And after that has happened, a lot of other things happen and kick off a storyline which has a kind of a mystery element as who it is who's actually after him and what they're doing and what their end goals are. And Stephen has to kind of overcome his feelings of loathing towards Lord Crane because his family were not very nice people. They make Catherine Cookson villains look like Mother Teresa. 
and they kind of ruined Stephen's dad and his family suffered because of that. So there's a lot to get on with in book one, basically. From a magical standpoint, it's quite original in the way that it looks at magic. Um, it's also quite simple. Basically, practitioners have innate gifts of their own, but also call on outside sources of power. For example, Stephen pulls on what he calls etheric flow, and which Lord Crane terms chi because of his background in Shanghai. Um, not every practitioner can do that. Stephen also talks about warlocks, who are practitioners who draw their power from living people, which is called stripping, and it can basically leave the victim looking like a mummy that's all dried out and gross and gnarled because all of their life force has been drained out and it's chiefly that that he's fighting a lot of the magic that they use is either cantrips i guess in terms of specific gestures and spoken words but there's also sympathetic magic a voodoo type doll situation which is termed a judas jack i haven't been able to find any reference to that actually being a real thing but it's sort of the kind of puppet work that most pagans would probably be familiar with uh, there's also a lot of reference to stuff that I guess would be more less a Key of Solomon type things, meaning like large symbols, elaborate rituals, things like that, that probably aren't things that modern day Wiccans would do normally, but they definitely feel very um, formal, maybe in a sort of evil Gardnerian type way, if you wanted to kind of mush those things together. But overall, quite realistic in terms of paganism, but also it has its own rules and folklore in the series as well. So the two things that I think make the series so fun for me, well three things if you count the sex because I mean that's just hot, but the two things that I would probably tell other people just at the bus stop about this series if they didn't you know already think I was weird would be the fact that one the mysteries in the book series and specifically talking about book one are quite interesting. There's a lot of suspense and you want to find out who did it and why they're doing it and also quite dangerous situations and things like that that I would liken to some of the Sherlock Holmes stories and things like that, sort of like crime solving. Also, the dialogue between characters, between uh, Lucian Crane and Stephen, but also between him and Merrick, who is like the butler slash murderer, and other characters is quite snappy and sarcastic and amusing in a kind of humorous way it kind of gives me a feel of like Buffy the Vampire Slayer jokes in the face of death type dialogue so that's really fun and entertaining to read the writing itself is quite quick and peppy and it goes along from scene to scene there's nothing glaringly unresearched about it it all flows very well it's a very well put together and intensely plotted story so quite pleasurable to read uh, my one gripe with the series I think would be that towards the end, um, like the end couple of scenes, the action can get a little bit muddled and because there's so many players involved, so many characters, it c it's easy to forget who is who. But that's a gripe that I have with quite a lot of things. I think for some reason it's quite difficult for writers to keep a large cast of characters straight enough huh, for readers to differentiate between them if they haven't been very familiar with them all along. I'm on my third go at reading the first book now and I pretty much understand everything that's going on but on first reading it was a little teeny bit confusing at the very end. Another positive is that the books are super affordable. The Magpoi, the Magpoi, can you tell I'm from the south? 
Can you tell I'm from Somerset? Or oh, have spent large parts of my life living there. Anywho, The Magpie Lord, the first book in the Charm of Magpies series, is only 99p on the Kindle. Um, I think you can read it for free if you have, like, Kindle Elitist package or whatever that's called. If you want to buy it in paperback, it is £7, uh, I think because it's probably, like, self-published or something. Although it was originally published by Sowen Publishing, which is, like, a smaller independent publisher. But yeah, they are all quite affordable. The second and third book in the series are about £3 for Kindle, but the first one, 99p, you really can't go wrong. It's a very good book for 99p. I'm going to read you a little section from it now. Um, this is from my Kindle, which it, it can be quite annoying to find quotes in a Kindle, but I'll give it my best shot. So this is from about the 20% mark. Stephen, Day and Lucian have arrived at Piper, which is the sort of country house owned by his family, which is where his father and brother both died. Uh, they've arrived. They've met Graham, who is the sort of unpleasant old butler who lives there and is still loyal to Crane's father. Graham, this is Mr Day, who is attending to some legal matters for me. I'll expect you and your staff to answer all his questions as fully as possible. The butler looked Stephen up and down. He didn't roll his eyes and turn away in contempt, but it was evidently a close-run thing. Yes, my lord, Graham bowed them in. Mr Skewton has left a number of papers for your lordship on your lordship's desk in your lordship's study, and Sir James and Lady Thwaite have left cards for your lordship, your lordship. Crane looked at him expressionlessly. Graham stared back. Very good, said Crane finally. Mr Merrick is of course responsible while I am in residence. Do take the opportunity to rest your feet, Graham. The old man's bald head flushed a dark red. I don't neglect my duty, your lordship. Lord Crane would never have suggested such a thing. The maids have put your guest in the blue room, your lordship. But I dare say Merrick will have something to say about that on your lordship's behalf. The peony room, perhaps. He stalked off through the hall towards the servants' quarters. Merrick followed, soft-footed. A door down a corridor slammed, almost certainly in Merrick's face. Loyal family retainer? asked Stephen. That's right. Couldn't you pension him off? Too much effort. If I got a decent butler, I'd have to import an entire competent household to support him. And since I'm going to sell this damn barrack as soon as I've unpicked the legal situation and clarified the accounts, I can't summon up the energy. Oh, you're selling the house. All setting fire to it, said Crane. I'm currently leaning that way. It is very cold, Stephen agreed, looking around. Darkly panelled walls, heavy wooden furniture, old hangings and threadbare rugs. Forgive my curiosity, but I thought your family was rich. It is, said Crane. There are extensive land holdings round here, and the land is good. Hector was expensive, and Griffin was stealing with both hands, but there's plenty of money. But one of the ways rich people stay rich is by not spending anything. I knew I was doing something wrong, Stephen said. What was the significance of that exchange about rooms? Don't ask. Well, said Stephen, rubbing his arms and feeling grateful for his jacket for the first time that day. Perhaps I could look around and familiarise myself with the place. And see if I can work out what's wrong with it, he added mentally. I'll take you round, said Crane. Neither Skewton nor the Thwaites offer the charm of your company, and I'm saying that to a man who spent the night disemboweling cats. This is the drawing room. It probably wouldn't be so bad without the panelling or the chairs, or if it was in a different house. Stephen followed Crane around the chilling ancient house, mentally mapping it without effort, half listening to Crane's sardonic commentary as he tried to pinpoint the source of his discomfort. Magpies everywhere. 
They were carved in wood and stone, perched over lintels, etched into metal, in paint and paper and embroidery. He made a protesting noise at a particularly ugly group in China, arrayed along a mantelpiece. Aren't they just, Crane agreed. My great aunt supplied them. She'd constantly warn us not to play with them, as though any boy in his right mind would. Was she responsible for the tapestry work magpies as well? Oh, in the last room. No, I've no idea who that was. Some passing bedlamite, perhaps. My grandfather organised the magpie-bearing silverware, as you will see at dinner if Graham hasn't sold it all. From here we can go down to the library or up to the next floor, which is mostly under covers except for the long gallery, where we keep the family pictures, and which will make you think better of Great Aunt Lucy's porcelain birds. Library last, please, said Stephen. Let's try the gallery. If you insist. You're looking for something, aren't you? Crane led the way upstairs, whose oak treads were deeply worn. I am, but I'm not sure what, Stephen admitted. There's something very old and odd and quite unpleasant about this house. Yes, it's Graham. So that's just a sort of taste of what the repartee and writing is like in that book. As I said, it is very kind of quick, back and forth, quite humorous. It's quite funny in places how Lord Crane kind of deals with his family's reputation because his family were basically nightmare bastards who ruined the countryside and he hasn't been there for 20 years and has a more kind of down-to-earth not so abusive approach which shocks quite a lot of characters they come across particularly in the first book obviously trigger warnings for this book are based on that um quite a lot of the plot revolves around uh, the previous lord cranes being horrible there's a lot of stuff about sexual assault incest and obviously in the manner of their deaths being suicide so that's something to bear in mind there's also quite a bit of gore um so bear that in mind as well if that's the sort of thing that's going to upset you but none of that stuff is actually witnessed it is just referred to so there aren't any actual scenes like that in the book i definitely think you should give this one a go as i said it's only 99p and it's quite rare to find books about sort of male witches or practitioners as they are called in this book um specifically ones that are fun and accessible i find generally a lot of books that have male characters and male authors that they tend to be quite arrogant the characters and difficult to get on with at least in my experience and they kind of come off as a bit misogynistic or a bit arrogant in that kind of bbc sherlock type way where you just want to punch them in the face but i think because kj charles is a woman the book has a little bit more emotional intelligence than you might find elsewhere and it's definitely a nice read plot wise of course if you're homophobic it's not going to be great for you but then you shouldn't read books anyway you should just lie down and wait for the end times to come i hope you've enjoyed this episode uh do get in touch if there's any other books that you have come across recently that you'd like me to take a look at or films tv anything of that sort you can get in touch on twitter which is at witchfix and you can get in touch by gmail which is which is witchfixpodcast at gmail.com you can also donate to my patreon which is in the description box for this episode and I'll see you in the next one. Bye!